Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. As always, you have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we're diving into the world of baby nutrition with pediatric dietitian, nutritionist and founder of Nourishing Bubs, Olivia Bates. Liv realized the challenges parents were facing when it came to feeding their children. She was determined to make a difference in their future nutrition and lifestyle. After exploring the current offerings in the baby food market, Liv noticed that many of the products were a combination of excessively sweetened, watered-down pouches of food. This inspired her to create Nourishing Bubs, an all range of healthy and nutritious baby food made from organic ingredients. With no preservatives or added sugar, it provides babies with the essential vitamins and minerals for proper growth and development. Thanks so much for joining us, Liv. So why did you start Nourishing Bubs? Okay, so this is always a funny one because I feel like as soon as you say you have a baby food business, people are like, oh, so do you have babies? And like, were you frustrated with that? (laughs) And um, no, I don't, not yet anyway. Um, but it was because it definitely came from being a dietitian by background. Um, and then when I came out of uni, I worked straight for a food startup. So I guess I very much like got exposed to like food industry. And then I did extra study into, um, pediatric nutrition because I used to want to be a pediatrician. So I really cared about that space. And I've always loved babies and like done a lot of babysitting. So I guess I just like, I knew about like feeding kids and kids like eating habits and how fussy they could be and how, you know, one night they'd have chicken and the next night they'd tell you they hated chicken. And so I guess I just had been exposed to it a lot and I was just always very passionate about that space. And so then I guess when I'd been working for the food industry, I was like, you know, I'd walk down the supermarket aisle and everything was those like pouches or those jars and stuff. And I was like, that's kind of gross. Like, you know, chicken casserole that's got 60%, you know, fruit in it and it's sitting on the shelf. I'm like, I wouldn't eat that. So why would I feed that to my child? So I guess, yeah, that's really why I got into it. So what age should you start introducing solid foods to babies? Yeah, so this is something that's changed a little bit recently and like the way it's also the way that it's written, which can provide quite like a lot of confusion. Um, But we still go by the Australian Society of Clinical Immunology and Allergy Guidelines, which says around six months, not before four months. So it does still provide a little bit of a window, um, but we do talk about those signs of readiness. So, you know, making sure that in particular they do have that um, head and neck control they don't need to be able to completely sit unsupported but if you put them in their high chair they can hold themselves upright so when they've got a bit of support they can hold themselves upright you know they're reaching for food if you bring food near their mouth they're opening their mouth they're showing a definite interest in food and also that push extrusion reflex where they're poking their tongue out that's starting to gradually disappear so these are what we call those signs of readiness and they'll really appear between four months and six months. Um, And so, you know, when they're showing those signs of readiness around six months is when it's time to get started. I often hear about when you, you know, you are looking to start getting into this and I've just had a baby, so she's eight months now. So I I was well into this when, um, when she was starting to show signs. What is the difference between starting with, you know, puree foods and 
baby led weaning is an expression that's been thrown around quite a lot now in mother's groups and and in you know doctor surgeries and stuff when you start talking about this so what is the difference between the two of them and where do I start you know purees is definitely the more traditional approach of weaning that we'll talk about so and in this sense we're talking about weaning um you know weaning onto solid foods whereas baby led weaning is something that has definitely gained popularity in recent years a woman called jill rapley wrote you know wrote a book and has actually written various books on this um it's particularly popular and i know like a lot of dietitians love it because um it really basically relies on baby's ability to you know tune into their own appetite cues so what you basically do is you skip really that puree stage so to speak and you provide every in what we would call like squishable pieces. So usually they're about the shape of a finger, like a pinky finger, um, and they're easy for them to grab because they haven't developed their pincer grip yet. So they need to be able to grab them with their whole hand and pick them up. So things like, um, you know, uh, florets of broccoli and cauliflower, but you just need to make sure that you're steaming them well enough so that they're very soft, like probably more than your you or I would like to eat it. Like it's got to be like almost so it's disintegrating when you squash it between your fingers, because obviously when babies start eating, many of them don't have their teeth yet so they really need to be able to nail the sort of the gumming it as we say so you know squashing it between their palate and their tongue um definitely when it comes to baby led weaning i know there's a lot of facebook groups out there about it and they can be very one-sided like i know of people that have been blocked from them and deleted because you you know you mention oh what if i tried purees or whatever they're very like one-sided and i've even found when i've read the books that it's basically says purees are bad purees are bad um i know myself and like various other you know health professionals there's more of a move towards a combination approach um you know where you because every baby is different and some babies will respond better to one approach rather than other another approach so you know i often like the idea of doing you know you might be feeding a bit of broccoli puree but then also give a piece of broccoli so they also can create that association between the look the smell the shape of it um, as well as obviously the taste um, or otherwise what you can do is you know you might do one meal might be purees one meal might be um, finger foods because it's just more convenient for you um, but I think you know trying a combination approach just so you can work out what works best um, definitely if you are going to do baby led weaning you can't really start it before they're six months just because they don't have any of the um, or they don't have all of like the motor skill development actually to you know help them actually because bringing like food to their mouth and getting it in the right spot is actually a skill in itself so things like that have not fully developed yet and until really six months. So if you want to do baby led weaning, I just, I would just like definitely wait until that six month mark. But yeah, they both definitely have their pros and cons. I think people that think about baby led weaning get a bit more scared about choking. But to be honest, like they can choke on purees as well. Like I wouldn't say it's, they're more likely to choke on, um, on like finger food pieces. And, you know, that's where something like a, a first aid, a baby first aid course can really build up your confidence too. So you mentioned broccoli and cauliflower, but what other first foods can you get your baby to try? So there's really no hard and fast rule about it. Um, I'm always a big advocate of like a veggie first approach. We know that babies innately have a preference for sweet foods, um, you know, 
a breast milk or formula is naturally very sweet. So, um, you know, encouraging them to get onto those savory tastes and get used to those savory tastes can be really, really useful. Um, I often recommend things like avocado is a great one just because it's quite flavor neutral, but it's really fatty and it's quite a nice texture. So it's quite an easy one, even if you're like, oh, should we give it a go? And you can just mash up a bit of avocado. Um, but then things like more, your more flavor neutral veggies. So things like um, cauliflower can be a fantastic one. Zucchini is a good one. It's also very, it's quite watery. So it's quite a good consistency for them. Um, and then moving to your more bitter ones, so things like your your broccoli, um, for example. But of course, as soon as they are six months, it's also really important that we are focusing on those iron-rich foods. So, you know, starting to offer like um, meat purees or if you're doing baby lead weaning, you know, giving them a lamb chop to suck on. Um, so we do really need to, from six months, make it a priority. You know, I usually say, you know, focus from six months, make sure you're focusing on iron-rich foods and veggies and, you know, combining those two. Um, for some people, they might do ri um, rice cereal if you want to. Um, it is fortified with iron, so it does mean that you can guarantee that you are getting that iron in. But it is obviously um, a, a different form of iron, so it's not quite as well absorbed as, for example, like your animal sources. However, it still can be an easy vehicle if you need an easy way to get it in because people are quite worried. I would say it doesn't taste particularly nice, so I always recommend like mixing in some veggies or something if you do want to do rice cereal. But some people like would prefer just to move straight onto food and that's... I'm also a huge advocate of that too. I uh, must admit the lamb, like I did a lamb cutlet and it was my favourite, favourite thing to give her as a first food because she honestly, it was like watching her eat a lamb lollipop, like she just loved it. Um, but I'm, you know, I've been really trying to get iron into her. How do you know that they're getting enough iron and how do you kind of start judging that they're getting enough nutrients? It's really hard. And I think, you know, because obviously, and I even know myself, like when I'm giving these talks on introducing solids, like, you know, people like, oh, like I say, you know, they need from six months to 12 months, they need 11 milligrams, which is a huge amount for a little person. And like, um, you know, and people like, oh, like, how do, they, how do you make that up? And so it can be really hard. I always say, you know, every meal that you give them, um, you know, you want to be offering at least one iron rich meal a day if they're only having one meal per day then it should be one iron rich meal per day as they have more and more meals try and you know keep up the iron obviously I don't you don't necessarily need to be giving for example like lamb three meals a day but you know maybe you give a um, a plant-based version um in terms of like we we don't it's definitely not general practice to go and do um like blood tests for example on a baby um so, you know, usually it's more about just focusing on their overall diet as well. They'll go through days where they're eating a lot and eating less and, and it can be very hard. But I always think one of the easiest ways is just to make sure you are plotting their growth on the growth chart. Um, because if you know, look, I'm, I'm giving them one to two really iron rich meals per day um, and they're, they're they're plotting on the growth chart as they should be. So, you know, maintaining those regular monthly weights using the same weighing scales and they're still staying, staying on the same line like that is as a general rule, unless, you know, you start to notice like significant changes in their well-being, that suggests that they are getting enough nutrients over the, over the course of, over the course of the, you know, as a general period. Like you can't look at one day in isolation. You need to look at the whole picture and the whole picture is like, yes, today they might've eaten terribly, but you know, then they have a couple of days where they just keep eating. And it is about looking at the whole picture. And so one of the easiest ways is just to plot their growth on that growth chart. Obviously, if you get, you know, they seem particularly lethargic or, you know, they're sleeping longer than they should be. These are other signs. Like there are other things, but as a general rule, just to, you know, I guess, give you peace of mind that I think the growth chart is just the easiest way to do it. 
obviously I'm a big advocate of um, nourishing bubs and I use a lot of the nourishing bubs products. So I, I've got to put that out there, everyone. I, I've definitely, I've gone through, you know, the early foods um, and getting those, the, you know, it was great to get the purees and the puree packs. And now, you know, I use some of the beef stock with the liver, et cetera, and putting those into our foods. How do you know what other nutrients the baby needs and how do you kind of build a baby's meal? Usually the easiest way to do it is just to sort of think about it in thirds. You do your protein, <laughs> protein, carbs, veggies, and then you add some good fats to it. So whether that's things like, you know, adding avocado, drizzling like olive oil on things, um, you know, cooking with even cooking with a bit of butter, adding nuts and things. Um, so that's the way you would add the fat to it. So usually just splitting it. Sometimes your carbs will also be your vegetables too. So then you're just getting more veggies into it. But just a, usually a third, a third, a third. And I even say the same with an adult. It really is the same. It's just the size is obviously different. Um, and you can definitely lean a bit more on the fats with a child than you can with an ad, like than you would with an adult, just because obviously, you know, they, they can handle a lot more in terms of their um, kilogram weight than an adult can. And then how can you encourage babies to try new foods? Because babies can be fussy. Yeah. So um, one of the easiest ways, like, for example, if you want to introduce them to new foods and obviously the early stages, a lot of new foods, um, one of the easiest ways is like offer a new food with a familiar food. So like even when you're first starting out, that's why it can be good. Like if you're doing purees to mix a bit of like breast milk or formula with it, because that will increase the familiarity. And then, for example, say you want to try, say you want to try, I don't know, um, carrots or something. And then they haven't tried carrots, but they've tried pumpkin and they like pumpkin. So you can mix carrots into pumpkin or just offer, you know, offer the carrots with the pumpkin because, you know, it's almost like there's a safe food and then a, then a new food. And, um, you know, they, they can then try it because they know that it's not all completely new to them. So just offering a new with a familiar food and also just like that repeated exposure. You've got to remember that it's all new for them. So, you know, you can't expect them to love broccoli straight up, like just continually putting it out, continually exposing them to, to it. It can take, you know, 10, 15, 20 tries for them to like a new food. So, you know, don't, try it two times and go oh they hate it like my baby hates broccoli like they need the chance to learn to like it it is such a learning experience changes like there's times that I give her something and she loves it and then I go to give it to her again two days later like after you know you've done the introduction she's had it three times four times then you just go to add it into her diet and two days later, she's like, no. They're so fickle as well. You're like, I don't understand. Like, yeah, they, and whatever, like if they're moody or whatever, they're like, no, nah. like, oh, yeah, they yeah. go through weird stages. So I think don't get disgruntled by that. It is such a like wild learning curve. And like even it'll probably get even worse when they enter the terrible twos. They Like they'll go from being great eaters to being like uh, throwing everything everywhere. You're like, why? But it's just, I think just keeping that exposure up and not getting disgruntled, just go, okay. Also, just like you eating in front of them. I know you probably don't want to dive straight into like purees, but like, you know, just they like to copy you. So demonstrating those healthy behaviours will also help. I have found though, I'm exactly that. I mean, and this is probably something that I have found just in general, but the way they eat is so healthy and it's very similar to the I Quit Sugar Principles, right? So it's just really good meat, really good um, carbohydrates, really good fats, as you talk about. And in actual fact, and even I add seasonings now. So, you know, she does get, mm. so for example, I'll do like a lamb 
um, a slow cooked lamb with a little bit of dill and yogurt mm. and couscous and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, it's wow. like a small tagine, right? If yeah. we ate this way, we would be so much healthier. If you weren't yeah. adding in all that processed food, if you actually ate like a sick, I know this sounds very weird, but if you ate like a, you know, a seven month old baby, I think we would have great diets. No, I think that's it though. Like, it's like we're redoing it again. Like, that's why I think people are so focused on it. Cause it's like you're re, it's like you're reborn again. You're like, I can do better the next time around. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. When you're like feeding your baby, is there any like habits or practices that you should avoid when introducing solid foods? I mean, I just think it would be making sure that you've got like the right, you know, the right setup in terms of that, you know, they really need to be sitting upright. I know people definitely do have a habit of when they they start out, they keep them in the like the lying flat in the bassinet, but it's not the best, like in the bouncer, sorry. It's not the best because ultimately, you know, it can open up the potential for choking as much as, you know, you're obviously watching them carefully. You really need them to be upright so that their, you know, their airway is um, flowing down. So it's just about, you know, clear, keeping the airway really clear is really important. I guess on the flip side to what we were saying before, it's about, you know, demonstrating healthy behaviours. Like, don't you sit around eating hot chips and then you're feeding them something something else. Like, they they do really have an innate, like, ability to sort of pick up on what's going on. Um, also, like, if you're particularly stressed, I, my, tip, my first tip is always to people, you know, make sure that, you know, you're feeling quite positive about it because they can pick up if you're really stressed and you're like come on just eat it eat it like because they feel that sort of I guess that anxiety or that you know mum or dad is like quite wrung out and they can basically create a negative behavior so I would just say you know we spend so much of our life eating we want to create a positive behavior so go into it really positive try not to go into it like anxious I guess even if you have allergies don't then assume that they'll end up with allergies because it can create again like that anxiety around it um so yeah, I don't know if there are any other specific like habits as such, but yeah, just like going into it with a positive because it is an exciting, see it as a positive, exciting time, hopefully, rather than anxiety provoking. I mean, I just spoke about then the fact that, you know, the principles of I Quit Sugar are very similar to the principles of eating with a six-month-old or a seven-month-old baby. And we talk about a lot when you're first introducing foods, no salt, no salt, no salt. But it's just come out that obviously um, uh, that Western Sydney University had a paper and they uh, found that out of, you know, 290-something products that they had tested, only two of these, and this is a squeezy pouches, only two of them fell within the nutritional guidelines for a baby. And the reason that was was because of the sugar content. So what, you know, what kind of content should a baby have with sugar? Yeah, so this is such an interesting one. And I know the study that you're talking about. So the interesting thing is in Australia, we actually don't have strict guidelines on, you know, how much sugar they should have. Whereas, you know, specifically outlined in the guidelines is um, no added salt up until 12 months. Um, whereas, yes, yeah, sugar, there's actually nothing. Um, we do talk about the fact that, you know, really you shouldn't be um, 
adding any sugar until two years, but like there's nothing around, for example, fruit, like obviously, and you know, obviously I quit sugar goes into this quite a lot about, you know, fruit sugars as much as obviously they are great and they are natural. It's just like, they're just too high. Like those pouches that are meant to be savory pouches, a lot of them are like 60, 70% apple or pear, which is so high in fructose. And like, obviously your child is most likely going to like it. Like if you give them a, you know, something that's savory, but it tastes like apple or pear, oh my gosh, like sounds amazing. Then you try and give them to something at home that's like got none of that. They won't eat it. Um, so, you know, we really want to be focusing on, you know, a savory food should be a savory food. So, you know, a savory pouch should not have any fruit added to it. Um, so it's, I think what they are trying to bring in though is, um, restrictions on you know labeling them um because you shouldn't be adding fruit to those savory pouches and then marketing them as you know a safe savory pouch in the eu they definitely have um i think strict stricter rules around this um and you know we do talk about like for healthy eating we talk about you know only 10 percent of the calories should be coming from um coming from like sugars whether or not it is fruit or whatever like when we talk about you know picking snacks and stuff for kids I was you know 10% is usually the limit that we use and we aim for but we should really be like putting that into force with you know for example those pouches but they've really been allowed to get away way with it for way too long and there's just not strict enough rules and they put you know made with whole fruit and unfortunately like the lay person they're like oh yeah it's it's real fruit so like that's fine like you know you don't you don't think about the fact that actually well that that's meant to be a savory thing and then it's it's still sugar like it still becomes sugar by the time it's been pro- processed so much and yeah they're just not look, getting like that should be we know that only six percent of children in Australia are eating the recommended serves of vegetables so we need to be putting a focus on them eating vegetables there's actually not an issue really with them eating the two serves of fruit we're meant to have two serves of fruit and five serves of veggies obviously the size of the serve is a bit different but yeah like there's not really an issue with getting the fruit in the issue is getting the veggies in. So we need to be changing something there. So what are some of the most common sources of added sugar in those prepackaged foods? Yeah. So what they often do is like, they use some quite like, obviously there's fruit, like fruits, they'll use just like plain fruits, but then there'll be fruit concentrates. That's where they've actually like taken some of the water out. of it, So it just becomes more concentrated sugars basically. So often things like grape concentrate, you'll see um, apple and pear are two of the most common um, also because they're just the cheapest. Like you turn those pouches over and there's 70% apple or pear. Um, um, you'll find a most common, but yeah. So also other names for sugar, like multi-dextrose, basically anything that ends in the the OSE that's a different type of sugar um so you know they're they're using sort of cheeky names for it it's not so much like it's not necessarily things like honey and stuff like they're a bit smarter than that it's I would say it usually is the fruits and the fruit concentrates and the um that they are basically using to sweeten things and so as a result people like oh it's fruit though like and whereas people I think are becoming a bit more in tune with looking out for the, you know, multidextrin and things like that and the osas and the, you know, the honeys. Like they'd pick that out quickly. Also, obviously can't have honey for the under ones anyway. So like they know to look for that, but it's the fruit, it's the fruit concentrates, it's the fruit juices. Um, but yeah, I would say apple, pear, like grape concentrate are probably your top three that you'll see on the back of those packs. So what are the potential risks? Obviously, what is the potential risk with salt? You know, we talk about salt and them not having salt until they're 12 months. And then what are the potential risks with sugar um, if infants are consuming high amounts? 
rates or amounts. And salt is such a funny one because obviously they've done this really hard, like you shouldn't have any salt whatsoever. But I think what it is, is it's largely to do with the fact that, you know, unfortunately the majority of people are eating a lot of processed foods and processed foods are naturally very high in salt. If you were not actually eating any processed foods, you would be needing to add salt to your foods. But because because we eat so many processed foods, it just naturally, naturally is getting in there. And I think that's sort of what's happened. So they've done a bit of a blanket rule. The issue is obviously, you know, they're, they're kidney they talk about their kidneys and it being an overload for their kidneys um look if if you're cooking a meal for your house and you then want to give a little bit to the baby if you're making your lovely lamb tagine that you're talking about before and you're making it for the whole house and you want to cook with a bit of salt and then you take a bit out for the baby like that really is not the end of the world. Like I would be like, oh, it's like, it's fine. Like, I just think it's all about like on a, you know, on a daily basis, you shouldn't be adding salt to their food like you would would to an adult. Um, because yeah, it, obviously them having too much salt, it I guess has the potential that it does with adults. It, things like it can add to high blood pressure, but you're not really hopefully going to see that in a baby because they put these rules in place. Um, with sugar though, on the other hand, I guess like, both of them are obviously used as flavorings. You know, it's about enhancing the flavor of the food. Babies don't need that level of, you know, flavor enhancement. I always say, you know, the first foods you give them will taste bland to you, but it won't taste bland to them. All they've had is breast milk or formula. So this is like a whole new world to them. Like, you know, their taste buds will be really primed. Whereas over time, we've obviously eaten so many foods that we've had to increase the level of, um, you know, stuff that we have to add. I remember when I did, um, you know, was look at doing some stuff with I quit sugar and I remember myself like stopping chocolate for a while and then going back and having chocolate and I went and was suddenly like oh like Cadbury or something I was like this is so disgustingly sweet because you like you basically reprime your taste buds well a baby's exactly the same they haven't had it before so imagine them you know having it for the first time everything tastes so much stronger once you've like once you peeled back all that extra that you add to them obviously for a you know baby if you set them up having too much sugar too much salt you're basically setting up their future for you know chronic diseases like we all think we're invincible until then suddenly we're sort of you know 40 and then you know we're overweight we've got high blood pressure we've got diabetes we've got you know we're heading for a um a heart attack like all of these things creep up on you as a, as a child in your 20s. You think you're completely invincible. You eat whatever you want. It catches up with you. So it's basically just about priming them for, you know, we talk about how those um, first thousand days, so the time in womb and also those first two years of life basically does lay the habits for their eating. Obviously, you can change it slightly, but they're just so malleable at that stage, I guess. Like you can really tune them to what they will end up eating. So yeah, that's what it's really, really about. Like you can be setting them up for, um, you know, those chronic lifestyle diseases, which is such an issue. So we need to start early rather than, you know, we need to be preventative and proactive rather than, you know, we need to, I think we need to be spending more money, more effort on being preventive and proactive rather than having to spend so much down the track trying to fix the mistakes we've made early. We've mentioned the um, sugars in the squeezy patches that aren't good for kids, but is there natural sugars that are okay for infants to consume? Yeah, so like definitely it's absolutely fine to give to give them some fruits. I just think, you know, give, give them fruit as fruit as it should be. Like, okay, you know, you might have a morning tea, they might have a morning tea um, or like they might have a bit of breakfast that's got, you know, I don't know, they might be having their morning porridge with a bit of pear stirred into it or which is absolutely fine. Like it's it's not the devil, it's just that, you know, when it's meant to be a savory meal and suddenly your sweet and your savory meals are all sweet, like it's 
suddenly their whole diet is sweet. It's also, you know, I really encourage people, and I know people do this, but they'll be like, you know, they'll give the main meal and then like, so they'll sort of try and, I guess, make main meal then sort of dessert and give the, the sweet food after. But then if they stop eating the main meal, they'll be like, oh, I'll just mix a bit of the, the fruit into it to get them to eat it. And, and I, I like, I know what they're trying to do, but like at the end of the day, we need them to get used to, okay, savory is savory and sweet is sweet. And so, yes, it's absolutely fine to give them some fruit and that's the best type of sweet food to give them. Um, but it's just about, you know, it shouldn't be the dominant. At the end of the day, we need to be doing a focus on veggies and then and then fruit. Like we're meant to be doing five serves of veggies and two serves of fruit rather than the other way around, which is what I feel like it ends up being with children and adults. You spoke about labels and you spoke about how hard it is to read labels, et cetera, with these kind of squeezy pouches. So in terms of, you know, when a, a mum is shopping, what should they be looking for? as a healthy alternative versus some of the ones that are out there that aren't as healthy? I would definitely recommend always turn over the pouch. I always just say, ignore all the marketing on the front. It's just marketing. We don't really, we do like a few things, but like, like I also don't want to mislead. So I'm like, just we folk, I encourage people to turn the, turn the packet over. Don't really, with kids, I don't really worry so much about a nutritional panel. I really care about that ingredient list. So what is in that ingredient list? You want to go for short, short ingredient lists. And I, you've probably heard this before, but like you want to understand the ingredients. Do you know straight up what that in, ingredient is that they're talking about? So it just needs to be very transparent. If you do want to buy those squeezy pouches, I understand the ease and the convenience of them. Make sure a savory is a savory pouch, you know, is it, if it says that it's um, on the front, you know, it's it's a chicken, whatever, like make sure it's chicken and veg and it doesn't have apple added to like sweeten it. Like read the, and often it'll be like listed as the last ingredient or what, whatever, like on the front. So you're like, oh, it's fine. And then you turn it over and actually that's the first ingredient. That's what I hate. So, you know, turn it over, read the back. We, we know in Australia, we use um, like percentage labeling. So they do actually have to de- declare the percentages. And you also want to look at the order in which the ingredients are listed. The first ingredient listed is always going to be the most dominant ingredient. So if apple is the first ingredient, that is what the most of that packet is made up of. So, you know, just be really conscious of that. Um, but yeah, short ingredient lists, um, real ingredients that you understand the names of. Um, and yeah, just, you know, make sure a, sa- a vegetable patch or a savory patch should be a set, like vegetables only. Don't, you know, and there are a few out there, but you do have to sort of sieve through and read the back. So make sure veggies is only veggies. And I'd probably be, to be honest, I don't love the concept of meat sitting on the shelf. So I would say if you want to use those pouches, probably just use them for like veggies. Um, like if you just need some veggies on the go and, you know, try and offer some other meat options because it's, yeah. I don't know what they have to do to it to make it. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? <laughs> Meat on the shelf. It actually completely grosses me out. It makes me think of like it's worse than dog food and this dog food grosses me out in its own way. Yep. No, I agree. So can you talk us through what type of products um, you create at Nourishing Bubs? Yeah, so we started off very much, my focus was on, I wanted to encourage vegetable intake. So we created this vegetable starter pack. It's got like 10 different veg, four little piece of each, which I think you've tried that one, Clara, but it's just meant to make it really easy. I love it. <laughs> that was like my first baby, I feel like. So I was like, I just want to make it super easy for people to do because even if you want to cook yourself, you can just try them. Like you don't want to go and fill your freezer with sweet potato or whatever and then they're like not loving sweet potato and you're like, okay. Like So you can just try them, then you can mix them together. Um, and then we do like slightly bigger portions of that as well. Um, we have recently just launched an allergen introduction pack, which is, 
I guess, similar concept. We've just done everything though in powder form. So to make it really easy, like particularly the tree nuts, I found people were really struggling with. They're like, how do I do the tree nuts? Like I don't really, you know, buy all of those. And if I do, it's going to be very expensive to go and buy almond butter and all of these things. So we've just done like little 30 gram little like sachet. Well, you get a whole box, but it's got like little sachets. You just sprinkle them on, um, you know, previously tolerated food or you could roll like avocado in them or like other foods that they've tried. So it's just meant to be super easy and simple like that. Um, and then we have now just launched a range of like kids, like kids proteins, I guess. So we've done like chicken nuggies. So they're like a healthy chicken nugget, um, like meatballs, lamb coftas, things that have all got veggies added to into them as well. So sort of meant to be like your main part of your toddler meal. And then you just add like chopped veggies, etc., to it. So yeah, so um, yeah. And I think we're about to launch also some protein purees for the more puree stage because it's something that we'd sort of held off doing but it's what we really want to do um, and also some fish options as well. I don't know as a first time mum it's really overwhelming when you're going into this and exactly what you said like trying to get through a knowing exactly what allergens that you've got to you've got to get through so mm. a lot of people don't really know um, the full extent of it so I loved that the allergen pack came with this little magnet that I've put on my fridge and I now, and a pen, and I now tick off what she's done and how often Ooh. she's done it, which I think is cute. But it's also for me, it was just breaking it down so that I knew what I needed to introduce. Like you, I think you, the advice is that you're supposed to do one a week up until they're a year yes. and try to get them all in there. And that's overwhelming. <laughs> it's really overwhelming. No, I, mean, I, do, I do do it as one. I usually say one a week just because like, there's no strict advice around it, but it's like, how do you get through? Like, there's quite a few you've got to get through. So yeah, one a week, I think, is achievable. You just don't realise that you're eating them. Um, and so, for me, like, for me, I was like, I don't actually know what I need to do or how I need to get them. But exactly to your point, Liv, I went and, you know, I make chia seed pudding. So I make um, coconut milk with some chia mm -hmm. seeds, leave it overnight. The next morning, I get out one of your little ice cubes of, like, fruit. So I'll get out... <laughs> Um, like pear and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to pick the fruit flavor and the nut flavor based on what would be a quite common thing so yeah, like pear yeah. and pistachio apple yeah. and walnut yeah. and that's how yeah. I've done it and yeah it's been really good and I've even sprinkled them on toast and it's just been so easy for me the other thing is yeah. I keep the cubes there and even though she's through kind of that puree stage and she's more into like meals, mini meals, I can just combine it in. So I'll make some couscous and I'll just add in, you know, a little piece of carrot, one of the carrot things or one yes. of the sweet potato things or whatever. And it makes my vegetables really quick and easy without yes. me even thinking about it. I can combine a couple of them and put them in there into her meals and the veggie component's done and I don't yes. have to think about it. So I've, I honestly, as I said, I'm a big advocate. I find them so easy to use I love and, it's, doing that. and it's quick. Like everything mm -hmm. that I do for her, I try to make sure it's five minutes or under. So like, you know, a slow cooked lamb shank, for example, for the meat component, really the prep side of that is like five minutes. You put it in yeah. the oven, take it out and away you go. So this for me is it falls in that category. Everything I can make, you know, couscous only takes two to three minutes to cook. Exactly, I just need yeah. to take out a cube, all the rest, like everything is just like a five minute meal and it makes it easy and achievable. And you can mix and match. Like you can, you know, every meal doesn't yeah. need to be the same. I find with some of those pre-blended ones, you're like, oh, well then you've got to do like all that for the, you know, 
Whereas like at least you can go, okay, well tonight she's going to have like carrot and parsnip and, you know, pumpkin. And then tomorrow we might do something else. Like it, yeah, it gives you the option to mix it and match it as you wish. Liv, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure. And for any of our listeners out there who are interested in using some of Nourishing Bob's products, we'll put links in the show notes below. This podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.